Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Well, everyone, we're back in Malachi starting this this study out. And this book was beginning with a very interesting uh, bit of questions here. The people were asking questions to Malachi. Uh, uh, Malachi is prophesying to the people, and he's prophesying to the people for something God is trying to teach them. And um, Malachi is telling the, the people what's really on their hearts. And he's saying to the people, you are asking me, perhaps it's on their hearts or they're praying about it. But he's saying, you're telling me, how have you loved us? You know, and uh, so God is telling the people, you're asking me, how have I loved you guys? Um, Sort of it's a rhetorical question, but. Um, you know, if you love us so much, why have you um, let us suffer so much? And uh, we, as we said last time, it's almost like a question that a little child would ask the parents. If you love me so much, why don't you buy me some toys? Or why didn't you buy me the toy I wanted if you love me so much? If you love me so much, why do you make me eat food that I don't like to eat? If you love me so much, why do you punish me? If you love me so much, why don't you let me do what I want to do? You know, all this stuff. If you love me so much, why did we have to go into captivity in Babylon? If you love me so much, why is life so hard sometimes? If you love me so much, why is somebody else better off than me? They seem to have an easier time, and you say you love us both the same You know, why is one person getting off a little bit better than the other person? And sometimes uh, we don't actually pray this, but I wonder how many times these kind of thoughts are on our hearts, even though we don't say it or pray it. You drive through or drive by somebody's house that might look a little nicer than yours, and you wonder to yourself, what did they do to deserve that? Or maybe 
you see somebody with a little bit better job, and you say, well, I work just as hard, but why does he get something I don't get? Or, you know, you see somebody maybe in a nicer situation for whatever reason. And maybe you claim to be a Christian. Maybe we all claim to be. And then you wonder. They seem to have a little bit better. And it's the same kind of setup, kind of a question. And so God answers with basically, um, he turns the table on them when he answers that question. He's, he's telling them, this is what's on your heart to me. And then he says, well, let me answer the question for you. And in summary, he answers the question back. Well, how have you loved me? Have you loved me from the heart? You know, and he's he's getting them to look in the mirror for just a minute and realize that the question they need to be asking is not how much God is loving them. The question they really need to be asking is, how much are they, how much are we loving God with all our hearts? Because if we're loving God with all our hearts, it doesn't matter what we have or don't have. It doesn't matter what we have, what we want, or what we don't want. Or whatever our station in life. It's all about loving God. Not about Him loving us. It's about us loving God, praising God, exalting God. From wherever we are, whoever we are, and so God's saying, how have you loved me? And then he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where is my honor? Back in those days, children really had to honor the father. Maybe not like in today's time, and he points that out. And if he's a master, where's the fear? Seems like you're taking me for granted. There's more respect and fear for the earthly fathers and the earthly masters than from the heavenly father and the heavenly master, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, it's the, the, that phrase, the Lord of hosts, means he's the God of all these heavenly armies. It's kind of a juxtaposition of phrases. You know, master, father. He's saying, you're talking to the Lord of hosts here. And all these heavenly hosts are my... This is the Lord who's been honored tremendously by the heavenly armies. But you say, how have we despised your name? He says, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. He calls them out. O priests who despise my name. Now, those are the priests, those are the leaders back then. Malachi was talking to them. And then he, McGee makes the point that we're like priests today when we 
offer some sacrifice to God, we are like a priest too. How do we despise God's name? Is it possible for us to despise God's name like these people were despising God's name? Well, I think it most certainly is. But then the people are going to say, well, how did we despise your name? We never said we despise your name. And then God even asks that question to himself on behalf of what he knows are in the people's hearts. He says, but you say... How have we despised your name? That's what we would ask too. Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. God answers right back to them. But then he says, but you say, how have we polluted you? And that's the same kind of question we'd ask. Would God tell us? Even today, that we're offering him polluted food, you know, and by doing so, we've despised his name, you know. No way, God. I, I haven't, I've never said I despised you, and I've never tried to give you polluted food. I'm not even sure what that means. Then God answers his own question. God's answer, asking all these rhetorical questions as a form of teaching these people. He's answering his own questions. And he says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? Again, God's asking a rhetorical question to himself. On behalf of these people. He's telling them you're offering blind animals in your sacrifice. Now, now these people, they had to have these animals. And what he's saying is, is whenever an animal goes blind or possibly gets sick or something, that's what you end up sacrificing, right? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Okay. He said, why are you bringing the the rejects to me for your, quote, sacrifice? If you sacrifice a lame animal, a blind one, one that you know you can't sell, it's going to cost you money anyway. If you're, quote, sacrificing that, how is that a sacrifice? McGee makes the point, like for us today, we're sort of like priests when we bring a sacrifice. When we throw something in the offering plate, it's supposed to be a sacrifice. McGee makes the point, if you go out to see a movie or you go to a a football game, baseball game, soccer game, you pay maybe $10 for the admission ticket or maybe more than that, or you buy yourself something to drink or a snack or some chips, whatever you eat. At the game, if you want to eat something at the game, how much does it cost? Does it cost some money? And then you go to church and you don't even put that much money in the offering. It hasn't sacrificed you anything. It's not even a sacrifice. So you're going through the the ritual of the religious ceremony and you're putting something in the offering, maybe 
so you don't look bad because other people are putting something in the offering too. And everybody's putting in the least amount or the spare change. Is that your, is that your offering to God, spare change? McGee was calling this sloppy agape. Sloppy agape. I mean, sloppy love. When you love something that much and you bring a sacrifice to God's temple. God's saying, don't throw pocket change into the offering plate. It's got to feel like a sacrifice because it's got to come from the heart out of a true love for God. Are you worshiping with your heart? Or are you just throwing spare change in the offering plate? When you present when and when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? This is, again, verse 8. Then he says, present that to your governor. Okay, let's, let's put this to a test. Throw it to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Do you think if you went in to pay respects to your own governor, with pocket change, would if you're trying to win somebody's favor, would you do so with pocket change? Or would you make your biggest sacrifice? Says the Lord of hosts. Again, he puts his name out there as the Lord of all these heavenly armies. He's trying to show you what God deserves. Verse 9, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Okay, so he's saying with this, these, these lame gifts, gifts of your own just pocket change, things that you are giving to God that you know you can't do anything with. You can't sell these lame animals. can't make any profit for yourself. And that's what you give to God. He says, with this kind of a gift, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. He says the Lord of hosts again. The Lord of hosts. All these heavenly armies who deserve so much honor. Verse 10. On that, there were among you, uh, he says, oh, that were, uh, that were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. He goes, oh, if there's just somebody who just closed the doors. So you guys wouldn't come in and start trying to make a fire in my name on my altar. And as to continue verse 10, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. God says, I know your hearts. It gives me no pleasure when people give to me out of spare change. Because that's reluctant giving. They don't want to give. Out of sacrifice. Verse 11. From the rising of the sun to its setting. My name will be great among the nations. My study Bible says this is a phrase. 
It's like from the east to the west, as far as you can see, my name will be great among the nations. In other words, God's saying, look, there's no boundary to my greatness. I'm the Lord of hosts. And my name will eventually be great among all the nations. And McGee says, this hasn't happened yet. This is what's going to happen. And yet, there's no sacrifice in your sacrifice to me. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations. He says it twice. Says the Lord of hosts. He says the Lord of hosts again. Verse 12. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is when you snort at it says the Lord of hosts. So he's telling them, this is what they say, even though they didn't say it right out of their mouth, but this is what they say with their actions. And you give out of weariness. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering with, he says that with an exclamation mark. This is what you bring. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? That's a strong bit of questioning, isn't it? How do we give when we give to God? Is it weariness? Is it tradition? Is there any sacrifice in our sacrifice? Is it just spare change? God wants your whole heart. He doesn't want a weary heart to come into the church to praise His name. He wants a heart full of joy to receive what He has given you. The original question was, how have you loved us? When you let all these things happen to us. And God's saying, it's not for me to, for you to worry about how much I've loved you. What needs to be on your heart and mind is how much and in what ways you are loving me. I'm the Lord of hosts. But yeah, I am worthy of all your worship. But if you want to talk sacrifices, if you want to talk sacrifices, I could so easily give the greatest sacrifice because I'm going to lay down my own life for you. Would you do that for me? Would you do that for one another? You won't even lay down the life of a healthy animal 
you won't even feel a sacrifice. Perhaps today, in a monetary gift to me, is your sacrifice. I'm the Lord of hosts. I just lay down my life for you. I wonder what it feels like when you come to church and show me the sacrifice you're willing to give back to me at my altar, in my house, before my body. Is it even acceptable to the Lord of hosts? Does it look like a service of sacrifice? Or are you just polluting my altar? Really, really powerful words. Convicting words. The question is how much and and how and what ways We're loving our Father, our Master, the Lord of hosts, back. We'll stop here. We'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing what you've got to say today. God bless you all. We'll see you next time and keep your hearts centered on Christ. Hello, so today's teaching is coming from Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, all the way to verse 13. So in this book of Malachi, we began with God saying to these people, that's in Malachi's time, the Israelites, you know, when they had actually returned from um, their captivity, um, that's the remnant, and uh, it had been like a hundred years later, and, you know, they were happily settling in, Actually, they were happily settled in and they, um, you know, were back now for over 100 years. And the captivity is in the background, you know, everything is, you know, in the back and things are prosperous in the land. And they have now, you know, become a little self-sufficient. So they now had a temple and they went through the ritual of it but they were far from God their hearts were far from God and they had become very insolent and you know they were talking back to God when um, you know he says certain things to them so God begins on a very high plane uh, when you know at the opening of this book when he says I have loved you and they now give this very superficial, sophisticated response, you know, they say, in what way have you loved us? So they were questioning God, they're doubting God. So they are implying that they really don't think God has loved them, they have felt abandoned by God and all. As you know, they actually went into captivity and a lot, and they had um, been going through a lot of suffering and they were questioning where was God that time. And You know, this today is the position of a lot of people today. You know, people tend to go through a lot of suffering, you know, not only in the church, but also outside the church as well. So a lot 
is being said about God is love. You know, they're preaching like, oh, God is just this person who just, it's just all about love and there's no judgment. And, you know, this is an abstract statement and God didn't say he's love. He says, I have loved you. That's what he told these people. And he's demonstrated um, it's, and, um, you know, he's demonstrated his love for a long, long time. So God's been telling the human family that he loved them. So he demonstrated it long before he actually said it. So in the history of these people, God's action towards Israel reveals that he actually loved them. So because he judged, um, he, he judged the Edomites, he blotted them out of the face of the earth. And, you know, God's action towards Esau reveals as if God hated um, Esau because he actually judged um, the Edomites. But, you know, that's not the case. God judged the Edomites because they had gone so far and one can only go so far. And God, you know, stops listening, you know, when you go too far in sin. And this was the Edomites because the Edomites had that hate in their Hearts and God didn't actually express this, uh, these sentiments to Esau and to uh, Jacob when they were growing up as brothers, you know. But eventually, this, um, this hate that Esau had and all, you know, he gave out away his birthright because he despised God and all, and um, you know, it 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 multiplied um, into a nation. And, you know, we have a lot of people today who say, you know, does, is God really there? Does God love us? Look at the pandemic that we're facing right now. A lot of people tend to question, like, you know, if God actually loves us, would he let us go through such and such? But we tend to forget that our hearts are far from God. Like, what type of people are we? So these people actually doubted God's love and they continued on in departing from God. And God comes back and says um, in verse 6 of uh, Malachi chapter 1, it says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Okay. So this actually, you know, when God, um, you know, said this to them, it didn't resonate very well with them because they are, you know, hard-headed people they're arrogant they're stiff-necked and you know they're now self-sufficient and they feel you know we don't need god they're very self-sufficient everything's just working out well but they're forgetting you know for their lives to be going smooth they're experiencing peace for the first time it's god god's behind all that and you know you can't these people they couldn't be told anything and this is a picture of people today you can't tell people anything you know when life is going smoothly for them and all they just they're thinking oh i can do everything on my own you know, they, they're forgetting God's behind all that because God is the creator. So these people gave an outward show of being very religious. So, you know, they was just very pious and just very pompous. So they were going to the temple and they were going through a religious form. And down underneath, they actually despised God's name. They despised God and they were very far from God. And these people, when told that they despised God and despised God's name. Uh, they were very hurt about it. Um, and usually they say the truth hurts. 
Yeah. So they were hurt about it because they went to the temple and offered sacrifices. You know, they did all this. They did all the religious form. They were, you know, acting on um on this religious form, but um they were denying the power thereof. But you know, God um begins to actually lay it out for them. So first they were offering polluted bread. And we have this in verse 7 and says, You offer defiled food on my altar and say, In what way have we defiled you? Say by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. So um yeah, in other translations they offered polluted bread and bread here, um, that's the sacrifice. It's it's, it's talking about a meat offering. So that um was actually put on their altar. So God made it clear to these people from the beginning when the law was being given that nothing was in any way, um, sorry, he made it clear that nothing uh, was in any way defiled, um, maimed, or, um, you know, just uh, uh, handicapped was to be, actually be offered to him. And this is, we have this in Leviticus 22. Verses 20 to 23, which reads, um, that's from verses 20 to 23, verse 20 reads, Whomever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free will offering from the cattle or sheep, it must be perfect and be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Verse 22, those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer uh, or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or make nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. So God says that, you know, the offering being offered is a picture of Christ, and Christ is perfect, and every defect, defective, sorry, offering was an insult to God. And that's what these people were doing. They despised God and they just didn't care. Um, it was an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, people despise the name of God and um, we despise him in our offering as well. You know, we'd rather spend, you know, more money tipping a waitress if we go to a restaurant to spend more money on, um, you know, a, a, a football game than what we'd spend in church. When it comes to offering, you know, you want to be stingy about it. Um, you know, you don't want to um, give with all your heart. And in Deuteronomy 11, sorry, Deuteronomy 15, verse 29, reads, um, I need to find, so, okay, um, yeah, so that's Deuteronomy um, 15, verse 29, reads, um, okay, so it reads, Oh, I think I got it wrong. 21, sorry. Deuteronomy 15, verse 21. It reads, uh, But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind, 
or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So these people thought they were actually being very clever and they could get by with it when, you know, they they went to an extreme, like, you know, when an old cow, like if they kept cattle and oil, when an old cow got sick or a lamb broke his leg, they would actually uh, patch it up and rush to the temple and offer it as a sacrifice to God. So God says he won't accept it. And today we are told that an offering made to God is like, you know, a priest making an offering back in the Old Testament. So we are um, priests. We're actually Catholic priests. So that's general priests before God. And we are to give by grace. But that doesn't mean that we are to give as little as we can. If one can actually pay good money, you know, like I said earlier on, pay good money for their hair, their clothes, you know, for worldly things, you know, such as, you know, football games or giving a tip to a waiter, you know, you pay good money and then go to the Lord's house and drop chump change as an offering. This is wrong and this is an insult to God. So verse nine of our teaching today reads, um, but now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. So, um, you know, it is possible that these people could actually continue in that sort of thing, giving an outward show and not um, realizing that they were not right with God in their hearts. Verse 10 goes on to read, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire in my on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. So God says all the rituals that they were going through, that they, you know, um, is meaningless. You know, they go through all the rituals. They'll go to church as many times as they want. But, um, you know, they're far from God. So it's meaningless, but they actually just continue to do so because they're just going through this religious form. Verse 11 goes on to read, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles in every place. Uh, incense. So here, incense is, um, it's, uh, it talks of prayer. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, it speaks of uh, prayer. So, um, so it goes on to read, Incense shall be offered in my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So Israel was bringing God's name into disrepute by the way they were actually serving him. And if you compare it to like uh, the time of Queen Sheba, um, you know, the way uh, in Solomon's time, the way they were worshiping God uh, was totally different from how they were doing it now because now they're just going through a religious form. So they were not serving him as they had done in the days of Solomon. At, and at this time, it was just a form and a ceremony. So God's name among the Gentiles will be great during the millennial kingdom. But it's not great today because um, this prophecy hasn't yet been fulfilled. It's not great today as we are not seeing it because God's name right now is not great among the Gentile nations. So in every place, incense, like I said earlier on, this speaks of prayer. So it says, in every place, incense shall 
um, be offered in my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So uh, a pure offering here is Christ and incense is looking at prayer. So God's purpose in choosing these people is that they might uh, witness to the nations of the world. That's his purpose. So verse 12 goes on to read, but you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit is and its fruit is food is contemptible. Verse 13, you also say, oh, what a weariness and you sneer or stick up your nose. You sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? So now here, um, you know, they say, um, these people now, you know, not only were they going through this religious form and, you know, um, wonder, and taking um, imperfect sacrifices. Now they were actually saying, um, you know, this whole religious form, this whole religion and going to God makes them tired to go to church. It makes them tired and to go through all of this. So you know, when the heart is not right, you know, when the heart is not in, in it, in the thing, in it, in God, um, it becomes, you know, tedious, wearisome. And people today are saying God is becoming boring. This is why when men today ha actually adopted rituals in church. So they were, uh, you know, the way they wear robes, they chant, they burn incense and march around. It's because they are tired of spiritual worship and there's actually a thin line and a danger to that, you know, to, uh, too much formality and spiritual worship or, um, you know, where, um, too, too, too many, um, you know, um, too much religion that's introduced in, um, spiritual worship in, in the worship of God. And they actually needed something to entertain the flesh because, um, you know, the flesh is the flesh. So the ritual can have its place. It's, it can actually have its place, but there's also a danger of going to the extreme. But, you know, where is, um, you know, we ought to ask ourselves, where is the question, where is our hearts today? Rituals are, inter like, all churches have, like, their own rituals that go through the doxology. They do all these, like, funny things. And, you know, other churches, like, say, the Roman Catholic Church, they wear robes and stuff like that. Colors represent uh, different things and different periods in um, the church calendar and all. Um, but, you know, the question that, we ought to ask ourselves is, um, you know, where is our heart today? We love the form and the doxology, but is our heart in it? Is our heart in God, rather? Uh, is our heart for God? So in our heart, um, is our heart actually in, um, is our heart in this? Do we actually desire to worship God? So it's so easy to actually get tired and worrisome of church and church work it's very easy and that's what these people were saying they were saying it's worrisome it's tiring and all because their hearts weren't, weren't in it so if you're not in it you know you ought to enjoy a, the study of the word of god every day you ought to look forward to like learning more and letting the holy spirit open up the things of christ to us but if you're not in it then you'll find it worrisome and tiresome and that's what these people were doing so god was laying it out for them um, you know, he told them he loved them and they were questioning, in what way have you loved us? We went through all this suffering and oh, where have you been? Then he laid it out to them from the beginning. You know, I have always been there for you. I chose Israel. Um, you know, Esau and Jacob, 
um, the Edomites no longer exist because they were far from God. And then they were giving, um, you know, they were giving imperfect sacrifices to God's altar. You know, their cattle is maimed, is defective, it's handicapped, and they take it to God. And God clearly had stated he would not accept, you know, an imperfect sacrifice because it's an insult to Christ because it pointed to Christ and Christ is perfect. And then now they were saying it's worrisome and tiresome because their hearts were not in it. And this is where, um, you know, this is very relatable to that today to us. It's very applicable. Our hearts in it. You know, we may have all these rituals in church and all. You know, there's a doxology, there's, you know, all these things that we actually tend to follow, but our hearts in it. The important thing is are our hearts in, in it, our hearts in Christ. So yeah, this is our teaching for today. Thank you all for listening in. God bless you all. Have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.